0: Sadasha Townsend of the Feast and Fashion Podcast. I'm a veteran food and beverage journalist who's worked with some of the most notable media outlets in the world. Feast and Fashion is the intersection of food and fashion, one beautiful plate or glass at a time. With each episode, I will introduce you to fascinating, fabulous people in the culinary industry. Today, Roberto Perez joins me. He's the founder of Urban Palone a Chicago-based culinary company dedicated to Puerto Rican and Afro-Caribbean cuisines. The self-trained chef teaches classes rooted in these cuisines, and he is passionate about their backstories. He also fashions himself as a cultural historian. There's so many sides to him, including creating his own line of clothing. I'm so thrilled to chat with him. So thanks for coming on. Thanks for coming on, Roberto.
1: All right. Thank you for having me.
0: How has it been going for you? It seems like I'm not sure of the length that you've been a chef, but it feels like you are having the time of your life right now.
1: You know, um, even in a pandemic, I feel like I'm doing a lot of those things that I really want to do. It's like I'm so blessed that I have the opportunity to do things um, that I'm passionate about. And so I'm really grateful for, for all that's come my way.
0: What are some of the programs that you work on on a consistent basis? Let's start with that.
1: Okay. So um, I do instruction at the Greater Chicago Food Depository with Chef Jessica uh, Sol Boricua is the name of her brand. I'm also doing...
0: What exactly um, do you do with that program? Because that sounds like that could be really involved there.
1: Yeah, I do um, what they call front of the house uh, service. So we do things like we get them prepped and, and ready so that they could have their food handlers, so that they know they know how to do customer service, also how for them to learn about the industry. We talk about just basic skills such as time management, resumes, and those kind of things, kind of just getting them prepared for this type of work.
0: Who exactly is in the classroom?
1: Yeah, sometimes they're just young adults who are unemployed, underemployed. Some of them are, are, are challenged with um, whether it may be the justice system mm-hmm. and really just have uh, issues finding work.
0: What do you bring to this program to make it interesting for them? Because there's so many uh, culinary focused programs that are similar to that. And you have such, you know, you have your own little style going on. So I want you to talk about <laughs> what you bring to the table.
1: I definitely am probably one of the first Spanish-speaking uh, instructors there, so that's important. So it it begins to then, even though they're in Brighton Park, it then hits a different demographic. You know, now folks that only speak Spanish can come to our program and feel like they can partake. So that's really really great. Also, a lot of my experience is particular to Caribbean food. And so I can bring that, and then just bring my my basic experience. But I think that my testimony is also really important because I'm proudly a self-taught chef. And I I think that what I can give them is a testimony just to say, hey, if I did it, you can do it also. I learned pretty much how to cook in my 30s, and, and you can too.
0: I talk to a lot of people who, kind of, they don't have your same story, but I talk to a lot of people who say that they are uh, self-trained chefs. And I want to know exactly how does that work? Because you guys really know what you're doing as far as ingredients and technique and style. You have your own culinary point of view and you feel really comfortable in the kitchen. So how does that come about being a self-trained uh, chef?
1: In my case, I'm always self-conscious, so I always have, like, you know, I always um, am self-conscious, so that means that I'm going to work a lot harder, I'm going to study, I'm going to practice. Every day, every day, I'm learning. And so, no, I I, I didn't go to culinary school, which usually focuses on certain techniques, whether it may be French techniques, but there's things that I feel like I need to focus on because of my strengths. And, and and my desires and and the things that I want to learn are Caribbean food, and so, you know, that's kind of like the world that I usually dive into. But I definitely study. I think you, you just uh, and and this journey um, just continues. You just keep learning.
0: So when you say Caribbean food, it's so vast. You know, there's so many islands and countries. Mm-hmm. In the are there any uh, particular areas that you? Uh, concentrate in as far as those uh, those um, islands?
1: Yeah, so my family's from Puerto Rico, so I do a lot of lesser-known Puerto Rican dishes, a lot of dishes that you won't find in menus in Chicago. But then I also have a... Such as? A, <laughs> such as, let's say, let's say, arepas de coco. That's something that uh, arepas, so it's like a fried bread with coconut. It's something that's particular to a specific town, and you're you're not going to find it here um a lot of also things that, Is that maybe foods, No, no because it's it's although you get the aromatics of the coconut okay. it doesn't taste like coconut um Sounds or you do get a hint but then a lot of times it's also paired with something that's salty so then you have that beautiful mix of sweet and salty so it's okay. pretty much how you pair it
0: okay anything else that comes to mind
1: Yeah, a lot of the older things, a lot of the older things like guanimes, which is something like parallel to tamales in Mexico or Central America, um, something that was done by the um, indigenous indigenous populations of Puerto Rico. And so with the African influence, then instead of using corn husks, they use uh, banana leaves, and so it's it's something different, but it's it's something that's lesser known, something that you won't find in restaurants here in Chicago. And if you so, do, it's just huh, a special.
0: Is it, is it taste, does it get to taste different because it's in the banana house? What makes it different beyond that?
1: So tamales usually have their proteins on the inside,
0: mm-hmm.
1: where um, for guanimas, usually it's on the uh, outside and on top. Mm-hmm. So it's a little different. um, And yes, the banana leaf does give a little touch of a different flavor.
0: Interesting. Um, This is something that you've made before?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. What proteins do you
0: usually use with this?
1: um, Fish, salted fish. You can use something even um, kind of salty. Corned beef you can use. You can use all these different things that something saucy kind of to soak up um, the corn.
0: So good. I love tamales. (laughs) So is this something that I can seek out or is it usually something at someone's home?
1: Yeah. So every now and then um, I have seen it on the menu at a Puerto Rican restaurant called Casa Yari in Logan Square. And um, I have taught it in my classes before.
0: Okay.
1: um, And different variations. So if ever somebody takes the Caribbean cooking classes, sometimes I'm teaching that.
0: And the Logan Square is a predominantly Puerto Rican neighborhood.
1: Um it's changing, you know, Chicago's changing so much. So there are Puerto Ricans there, but the Puerto Rican population is pretty much scattered mm-hmm. throughout the city because of how expensive it is to live in certain places like Logan
0: Square. Speaking of which, how popular do you think Puerto Rican cuisine is? Do you think more people are finding out about it and if yes, Where can you usually find it uh, beyond Chicago?
1: Beyond Chicago? Well, wherever there's like big Puerto Rican populations, such as New York, Philadelphia, Miami, um, wherever there's plantains. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But but Chicago does, there are right, right now in Chicago for the last 20 years, it's been the jibarito sandwich, which is the sandwich that uses the plantain as the bread. Mm -hmm. And so that's been a real popular thing that is particular to Chicago, Mm -hmm. which is also telling of how, like, influential the Chicago Puerto Rican population
0: is. Do you have your own spin on the Ivorito?
1: Do I have my own spin? Yeah, you can always make your own spin for sure, because so many people do it. I kind of stay away from it a little bit Um, just because it's it's kind of overdone oversaturated a little bit.
0: I know that you're a musician as well. You play Afro-Caribbean music and yeah. that plays in a lot into your culinary point of view.
1: So I am a cultural worker. I am a musician for the last 20 years or so. I've been playing the music in Afro-Puerto Rican music called bomba music. And bomba music is something that, um, again, like a lot of the food that I cook, it is not a commercial music. It is, especially 20 years ago, it was really something that you had to seek out. It was something that really wasn't easy to find. Now there's kind of a boom, a resurgence of this music, um, but it's heavy percussion, it's dancing, it's chanting. It's also a music of resistance in Puerto Rico. So when what I mean by that is when there was the ousting of the governor in Puerto Rico, uh, Ricky Rosellon now, Bomba was at the forefront. You would see Bomba groups with their drums playing out in front, just chanting and, and, um, and, and resisting against the Puerto Rican government. And so what's so crazy is that our, uh, one of the themes to, to a lot of the protests that have popped up, especially mm-hmm. in Puerto Rico or wherever there's Bomba music, has been the song of Booyah, my group. Um, which is called gandela um, which really speaks up against um, uh, police brutality and the abuse of the authorities against the people and so gandela is um, a song that you hear it played over and over at these bombas or wherever the bomba music is
0: Wow that's that's pretty heavy so that song must be popular in this day and age it's got it's got to have a lot of impact right now.
1: Yeah, sad, sadly, it's the theme over and it's the anthem over and over and over again because of all the things that are going on around the world, even in Chicago, or especially right now today in Chicago.
0: Let's get back to the food. Have you been influenced by you know like your mom or grandmother and um, some of your the dishes that you've made that, or the dishes that you they're that kind of in your repertoire?
1: Yeah, all the time. I did a an event. Uh, a few years ago called um, Los Platos de Mami Cruz, which translates to the plates of Mami Cruz. That's my great great grandmother, whose father was actually from the town from the country or the island of St. John. And um, so he then came to Puerto Rico. And so it was kind of like a British island type of spin. And so all of these dishes, I, I, I decided that what I wanted to do was do a dinner or an event and recreate all of her dishes with the help of my family and the blessing of my family, because I don't want to feel like I'm ever exploiting their lives um, or with their blessing. I was able to do it. And I, I feel like that's something that I want to continue to do is honor um, my ancestors and those who have come before me.
0: What were some of the dishes that you recreated?
1: Yeah, for sure. So what's what's um, funny or not funny is that my mom talks about often. Being a vegetarian, because um, not necessarily because they didn't like meat, but because they couldn't afford meat. So meat wasn't something that was readily available to them. So a lot of uh, eggplants, um, things like corn, um, things like okra, a lot of these things that um, that we often, uh, a lot of beans, um, just these things to give us protein. In, in those times of poverty.
0: Did you put your own modern spin on these uh, dishes?
1: Yeah, I I always do. I always do. One of one of the focuses that I have is that I, I want to make also the food um, natural and I also want to make it healthy. So um so I always just you know back then there were a lot of things that were used that were maybe uh less expensive, maybe like lard. And so I I, I just I'll, I'll pick something like a healthier um, oil. And I also want to make it presentable. I want it to, to look beautiful. I have to explain it to everyone so that they know, okay, well, this is what it is. This is what the story is because every dish has a story. And so I want to tell the story of my ancestors.
0: Awesome. That, that is so <laughs> great. It just gives me chills when I hear people talking about their ancestors and uh, their heritage. And a lot of times people trace that through food. So I find that, you know, so fascinating that, that you've done that, that, and being a chef, I mean, it's a little easier for you to do that than the average person, of course.
1: Thank you. No, it's a big, that's what I mean about just feeling so blessed that I'm able to do and work in my passion because this is what I love and I'm able to do that and, and, and make, and make a dollar out of it. You know, that, that's so, so wonderful. I'm not working the nine to five, you know, working for somebody else. I'm working for myself and I'm, and I'm so happy about the and being self-taught.
0: You're a chef, Roberto, and you're Latin American. I feel like Latin American cuisine and Caribbean cuisine is getting a lot of attention. So are there a bunch of chefs out there that you could name check or do you want to? <laughs> or just talk about some of the things that you see that people are doing. You don't necessarily have to name people but um talk about some of the things that you're seeing out there um, in the culinary world as far as cuisine
1: well well no doubt what is what is happening now is that we're finally looking within we're finally have like this self-pride in what we're doing and chefs I think especially uh chefs of color throughout the world you see West African chefs you see just southern chefs and a lot of this food that was shamed at one time you see people just really embracing it and really taking a lot of pride in it. And so for many years, what we did in Puerto Rico being a colony is that we always looked up to American food or we always looked up to Spanish food. And we never looked within to our own culture and our own traditions. And so finally, we're doing that. And so there's one place that I could think of.
0: Why do you think it took so long for this, this to happen?
1: That's a, a great question. That's a great question. I think we're sick of of, of being shamed and stigmatized. I think, I don't know, there's, there's a beautiful cultural awakening happening mm. and you see it. And so I think of a place in Puerto Rico right now that I had the chance to go to called Bacoa. And Bacoa is in the countryside and it's outside. So it's um, Bacoa just does a lot of like the old classics that we don't do anymore, but they have highly trained chefs and they execute it so consistently and um, so consistently and so so beautifully and just using ingredients of the island and so like, Puerto Rico has a serious issue with that and many countries have issues with that where they're always importing all of their ingredients and so there's nothing that's homegrown and so Bacoa does that and really has embraced that and they have like they have herbs all around that they use and so yeah it's like farm to table and I appreciate that work that people like Bacoa are doing so that's a name drop right there I'm I'm really proud of the work that they're doing there. And it is a team of chefs because that's that's what it takes. It takes a team.
0: Absolutely. I love the way you said now is a time for a cultural awakening. And like you said, these West African chefs and you're seeing Puerto Rican chefs and uh, chefs from Korea and just chefs everywhere. Uh, Indian chefs getting their shot. I've seen Middle Eastern chefs have their say. So it is a beauty to see. I mean, we could be introduced to so many different cuisines at once. And it's awesome that you're a part of that, um, of that renaissance.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, And so even us in the diaspora, when we think about, I thought about Korean food because there's a lot of these stories of like Asians bringing things like, let's say kimchi to school. And being made fun of, yeah. you know, and then it it kind of takes us a while to like be mature and really say, you know what? This is beautiful. This is tasty. This is good for me. This is a part of my culture and embrace it. And so it, it kind of takes us a while, a little bit of, of maturity. Um, and I think that's kind of what has happened.
0: Were you always like this about your homeland cuisine, were you always a lifelong fan of your cuisine? I
1: I think that this is a a common story or dilemma where uh, you're at home and you kind of, you know you're different and uh, you want what the other families had around you. Um, I think we had this conversation when we talked about the spaghetti and the Puerto Rican spaghetti, and I wanted Italian spaghetti like, you know, my classmates had. And so, and so I wasn't, we, we weren't necessarily a family that had a lot of money. So we made rice and beans in 12 or 13 different ways and just dressed up differently, but delicious. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I think it is delicious um, today, but back then um, I just, sometimes I, I, I did want something different or I wanted what my other classmates had at home. And I I think um, that's kind of a a common story and a dilemma that a lot of us go through as people of the diaspora.
0: You know, you really should think about doing uh, like a little cookbook or something, (laughs) 13 different ways to have uh, rice and beans, because that just sounds really good, man, (laughs) especially (laughs) when I want you to talk about urban polon and your seasoning, because I know that's a big factor. That plays a big factor in what you're doing today and your culinary point of view. It has a lot to do with it. Thank First of-
1: you so much. So it, it does just because I was really troubled by a lot of the cultural stuff going on in the United States about our our food and uh, big, big corporations kind of just pushing food on us that isn't necessarily healthy, and it isn't necessarily even ours. Mm-hmm. And so like food dyes and things like that, and and packaged sazón, um, and so it was really troubling to me. And, you know, the salt intake and and the issues that we're having in our community, diabetes and hypertension, and so I decided that what I wanted to do in my classes is I wanted to be responsible, and I wanted to teach people how to make natural seasonings. And um, so I'm I'm grateful that I did. I was consistent, and I was and and so much to the point where now it's on the shelves. It's great. It's great. It's a about blessing. your
0: seasoning. What's in it?
1: <laughs> well, that that's the thing is that I'm not.
0: No, I'm
1: not. I'm not stingy with it because I want people to cook. Okay. I really do. That That is a big part of what I want. Anybody who has written to me to ask for a recipe knows that as busy as I am, I'm still sending people out recipes in the middle of the night because that's what I want to do. I want people to cook. I want people to make natural, healthy food. And so it's um, salt and pepper and oregano and garlic and turmeric, which is really good for you and anti-inflammatory. It also has cumin in it. It has achote or anato seed and paprika, which give the reddening. And that way you don't need any of the food dye. So you have the natural reddening, which people all around the world use to give color to their food.
0: And what do you recommend using your seasoning for?
1: Rice, beans, if you're going to do it in 13 different ways, you could use it either way. Even spaghetti, you could put it in that. But any stews, um, you could actually season meat with it. Leave it overnight or or four hours or more, and and that'll give a beautiful seasoning to your food. Mm. And it's all natural.
0: Describe exactly what that flavoring tastes like. Like if you season your chicken or say...
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's warm. It's warm. It's um, it, it's well balanced. And for many people, it smells like home, you know, and, and especially when it hits that oil, it smells good. It's like, oh, yeah, something good is coming.
0: <laughs> What's your favorite use for it?
1: Because I'm such a seafood fan. I like uh, some fried fish. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big seafood fan person so well there, there there's a lot of different fish but you know just something like uh, a fried red snapper you know the ambiance of course is really important so you could have it uh by the by the ocean uh next you know maybe some fried plantain maybe a nice coleslaw or something like that something nice and crunchy something something uh to kind of break up the flakiness of, the, of that fish oh yeah
0: that sounds really, really good. So thank you. I really appreciate that because you're make it's almost dinner time and you're making me very hungry, Roberto. So <laughs> talk about uh, your classes and what people, ex- what people should expect if they sign up for one of your virtual classes.
1: Yeah. So they shouldn't expect to do the more cliche dishes like arroz con gandules, like rice and peas. They shouldn't expect to do anything like that. I, I try to, I will do things healthier. I'm also going to give them a story behind whatever it is that they're eating. I'm also, it's and so the, I'm going to challenge them also. And so what's beautiful about the virtual classes is that they have to cook. If you don't cook, you don't eat. So I love that. And so I have seen people who do not cook or are afraid of the kitchen really take this classes and by the end, they really now can like feed their families or they can, they they become providers at their homes. And that's so beautiful, especially when I cook with the teenagers hmm. in um, from from the high
0: schools. It's really uh, how awesome. How often do you do these classes? Once a month, once a week?
1: You can always catch me at least once or twice a month, but sometimes, and the classes do fill up pretty fast.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, as of late, they've been selling out in a day. Awesome. So all of those spots will and and I'm I was really excited about this last series because we did it with mixologists. So they also drank. So they learn how to make drinks and then they also learned how to cook.
0: Is that something you're doing more of uh, pairing with uh, beverage experts? I
1: have. I have been doing that. And there are Latin and
0: libations, too, or Latin. And sometimes
1: school. a lot of times, a lot of times. But. But the I'm not a big fan of creating borders and boundaries. So Mm -hmm. I'm open and I was totally open to my mixologist really doing all kinds of things and using all the skills that they have. And I do the same thing with food. There's Um, a lot of things that connect us.
0: How can people find out more about your uh, classes? Where do they go to find out more?
1: So they can always follow me on social media, but I also have a website, Urban Bilon, so the bilon is the mortar and pestle. You may see some behind me or um and I have about 51 of them all from all around the world. So Urban Bilon
0: acquire all these pestle What pestles and mortars?
1: Uh-huh, say- mortar mortars and pestles, How uh-huh. Pestle-
0: How did you acquire all these?
1: It's been throughout the years and, and my mom sends them to me from Puerto Rico or if somebody goes on a trip, they'll bring me back one because they know I have so many.
0: I see um, two or three in the background mm-hmm. where we're, we're talking. Where are they? <laughs> where so they're
1: mostly all- in my kitchen on the shelves.
0: Yeah. Oh, OK. OK. Yeah, you have yeah. it nicely displayed and everything.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. OK.
0: OK. So people go to your website. At mm-hmm. say, say it so they can so find it's it.
1: urban urban pilon. So it's urban uh u r b a n pilon p i l o n dot com.
0: And they can find out all about your classes. They can get your seasoning on there, and yeah. you have another product on there you didn't talk about.
1: I I even have some apparel on there, so it's kind of like a. Yes. Yeah. We didn't
0: get to the clothing. We <clears so you throat> have the clothes with the your personal sense of style. Now I didn't yep. know that you had clothing on there. Talk about that.
1: <laughs> so it's um it's usually something um in relation to food. So it will have so instead of like the Adidas uh logo it's it it looks like Adidas but it says Adobo on it oh. or like the uh Supreme logo and instead of Supreme it will say sofrito. And oh. so um so it's just a play on a, a lot of the 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 trademarks of clothing so uh, the urban t-shirts, clothing
0: t-shirts hats aprons
1: sweaters um hoodies mm-hmm. cool. and then i have the hot sauce uh what they call the pique uh, the pepper sauce also have hot sauce too? i do i do
0: you didn't okay talk about the hot sauce
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right so the so the and, and I, I did this because of my, my, I wanted to, I thought about how do I honor uh, my father who had passed away. And so Don Clemente, he always had hot sauce when he ate his, um, his food. So whenever he had his rice and beans, he always had his hot sauce. And so that was something, it was one of the things that I would always bring to him at the table. And so when he passed away, it was something that I thought that I would continue and I would continue to make it. And so throughout the years, I've just continued to make it, and now it's on the market.
0: Nice. Congratulations. And that's Thank another you. item people can pick up on your website.
1: Absolutely.
0: Look at you. Just a, <laughs> a little businessman. That's awesome. That's, I love to see it.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Okay, well, Chef Roberto Perez, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you about all your goings. I'm like exhausted. I'm like, my goodness. (laughs) This man is busy. So I appreciate you coming on and chatting with me about everything that's going on in your world. And you're welcome back anytime.
1: I love everything that you're doing. Also, thank you so much for highlighting me. I'm so grateful. Thank you so much.
0: Well, that does it for this episode. I want to thank my guest, Chef Roberto Perez again for joining me. We're back next Friday with another outstanding, talented, and of course stylish culinary personality you don't want to miss. Thank you so much for listening to Feast and Fashion on the Eat, Drink, Dine podcast network. I'm your host, Adasha Townsend. Meet me back here next Friday.